What's the most common word at the beginning of a sentence in an argument? You, you, you always, you never, you're the one who, well, you started it. Well, remember that time that you from 20 years ago? And I'll never forget that. I'll never forgive you for what you, you, you. Where is the I? I feel and I felt and I'm feeling. Where is that? Too scary, too vulnerable. But no reference. We have no reference to I feel. You see? So we're using other people's feelings to try to understand ourselves. And those people are using their best understanding of our feelings to understand them. It's like we're in each other's shoes. They don't fit. It doesn't feel right. And we don't know what to do. Beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Wisdom of the Soul, presented by the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Howdy from the Southern California desert, where I'm happy to say the temperature is uh, moderating now as, as we move into August. Some beautiful weather out here. July was uh, a bit toasty. We saw 115, number of days, 119. It's about as hot as it gets. I've seen 122 in past years. So we pretty much just stay indoors. But it's nice now. It's like 101, 102, which if you've ever been to the desert, you know, is really nice. It's dry and wonderful. So we can sit outside. Today, we're going to work through a somewhat difficult, well... I don't mean to say difficult. What's a better word? Complicated. It's really not difficult, but it is complicated. The idea of codependency and what are codependent relationships and why do they cause such suffering? So after our opening meditation, I'm going to wade into this concept, talk about dependence, um, Dependent personality disorder, which is a thing. And then codependence or codependency, which most people think of as being part of the addiction community where alcoholism or drug abuse is involved. And it can be and is an important part of that. But even if there are not... Uh, the complications of drug or alcohol abuse, uh, many people are trapped as a result of childhood trauma and maladaptive or dysfunctional relationships in a vicious cycle of codependency, depending emotionally on others and supplanting an awareness of their own emotions with the emotions of other people. 
simply said people-pleasing, but it's a lot more complicated than that. And I think we're all aware of it when we need to be assertive, when it's time to say no to somebody who's asking a favor of you, and you feel that tug of war inside, gosh, I'd like to be able to say yes, but some part of me feels like I'd be betraying myself if I did, and I want to please this person, I, I want to avoid displeasing them, especially given who they are in my life, maybe a family member, a parent, a child, a, a good friend, a work associate, a boss. You know, many people are in positions to manipulate us. And we set ourselves up for it by being this, you know, go-along-to-get-along individual who says, yeah, I'll do it, only because it's hard to say no. Back in my radio days in the 1980s, I worked at KABC with a uh, professor from Oh, either UCLA or USC, I forget which now. His name was Manny Smith, Manuel Smith. And he wrote a book at that time called Why Do I Feel Guilty When I Say No? And <laughs> this is an example of the torment. Maybe that's overstated, but the difficulty that we go through when someone asks us to do something that we really don't want to do, but somehow feel obliged to do it. And then, because we don't want to displease them and suffer the consequences, we end up suffering anyway because of our own resentment and bitterness and allowing ourselves to be taken advantage of and then unappreciated and discounted. And so we're all codependent to some extent. And I think that's why it's a great topic. Also... I have about 555, I think, almost 560 podcasts that I've been doing since 2008. And two of the more popular podcasts, two of the most popular podcasts I've ever done have been on codependency. So I know people are looking for the information and benefiting from the information and, you know, telling their friends about these podcasts. So that's our topic for the day today. Appreciate you being here. And let's do our opening meditation. If you get comfortable and close your eyes and settle in a little bit, take a few slow, deep breaths. Feel a gentle drifting up. And then, now, open your eyes. Wide awake, back in the room. Eyes open now. Back in the room feeling fine, refreshed, and, and rested, feeling better than before. Wide awake, back in the room better than before. Good. I love these meditations we do. I want to remind you, at the risk of being too repetitive, that group meditation has benefits that meditating alone may not have unless you invoke a group. Uh, and, and again, I, I know I've said this before, but we always have new people, so I think it bears repeating. I don't hear it very often in the self-help community 
or among meditators or yoga classes or whatever, the idea of invoking a group every time you meditate, even if you appear to be physically alone, consider as you enter meditation deep that there are millions of other people on this planet. Let's just confine ourselves to, let's forget about the whole universe and the billions of other planets that are likely populated by sentient beings. Let's just stick with what we know. On this earth planet, at any minute of any hour of any day, there are millions of people in meditation and prayer. These are special brainwave levels. And you can enter that group further uh, if you're metaphysically oriented or esoterically oriented and uh, embrace the idea of an oversoul, that the soul is not simply something that dwells within, but that overshadows and that we are a emanation or projection of a soul on high, above, and free of form. Those souls are perpetually in meditation deep. And when you invoke that group energy, it'll improve the quality of your meditation. A little tip that uh, I feel strongly about sharing with you. So let's talk about codependency, huh? I said this is a little complicated. In the last couple of days, I've given a lot of thought to how to best explain it. I think I should start with a more common understanding that we get from books like Codependent No More by Melanie Beatty, a very important groundbreaking book from what, 20 years ago, 30 years ago? Codependent No More. Is it Melanie or Melody? I think it's Melanie, Melanie Beatty. And she talks in this book about her own recovery as a codependent. And in AA and similar groups like Al-Anon and even Codependence Anonymous, there's an understanding of the enabling that a non-alcoholic who's in a relationship with an alcoholic or substance abuser can unconsciously play. And so I, I think that's a place to begin because it's probably the most common application of the term codependency or codependence is enabling. By being a nice, kind, loving, go-along-to-get-along person in a relationship with a substance abuser, we often, without realizing, enable their behavior. In other words, we protect them from the harsh and negative consequences of being an abuser, being a drunk or a junkie. Yet what else are we to do? Let's say that your partner has a habit as an alcoholic or abuser let's say alcoholic because of the hangover, uh, Saturday night, Sunday morning, you know that your partner is sleeping in because they're sick, they're hungover, they're, they went on a binge the night before, you can see the empty bottles, <laughs> you know they were drunk. Uh, 
you heard them, you saw them. And uh, in the morning, if you've ever had a hangover, you know what it's like. It's horrible. Your your hair hurts. And uh, so as enablers, we tiptoe around the house. We don't wake them up. We, um, generally speaking, do everything that we can to try to prevent getting screamed at or yelled at because an abuser is typically irresponsible like most of us playing victim to their feeling in this case to physical feeling as well as emotional feeling and if you wake up this hungover partner of yours they're going to start screaming at you for waking them up for making noise Turn down that damn TV, that radio. You know I drank the night before, but they're not responsible. You know, it's not, they don't have anything to do with the fact that <laughs> that, that they drank a 12-pack of beer and a, and a bottle of wine and a pint of whiskey on top of that. It's not their fault, right? No problem. I, what's that t-shirt? I drink, I fall down, I get up, no problem. I don't have anything to do with the fact that I feel miserable after a binge. It's your fault. And as I explain it here, it may sound absurd, but if you've ever lived in that situation, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So we do our best to avoid these kinds of situations and unconsciously, in most cases, I say unconsciously, enable the alcoholic to be an even more drunk alcoholic or a substance abuser because we're inadvertently protecting them from the negative consequences of their behavior. So codependence in, or codependency in this case, generally refers to the enabler. Now, I can see how the alcoholic or the drug abuser would also be a codependent. They're dependent on the substance. But there's also some codependence in that relationship. They depend on the enabler to protect them from the consequences of their behavior. Nevertheless, clinically, and in most of these coda groups and Al-Anon and AA, the codependent is the individual who is sober, clean and sober, but enabling through their behavior, the drunk, the alcoholic, to continue that behavior. And what are you going to do? Leave? You know, that's not an option for people, families, kids, maybe financial reasons. It's, it's just not always that easy to pack up and leave. So, when we talk about codependence or codependency or enabling, I think that's where we begin clinically, talking about the individual who enables the substance abuser as codependent. There are, however, many, many codependent relationships that have nothing to do with alcohol or drug abuse. Where codependence refers to the maladaptive, dysfunctional relationships of two people. Could be two or more people, but let's just talk about two people in relationship. Let's say a partnership, a loving relationship. 
In this case, I think a good way to define codependence is an emotional swap where each person is good, well-intended, and a bit of a people pleaser, probably because as a child you had to avoid abuse by not asserting yourself. What child is allowed, much less encouraged, to express their feelings? What child is permitted to express their anger without being punished? If you fall into this category, know that you're an exception, right? What were your parents like, highly evolved or professional psychologists or psychiatrists that they, they knew the importance of allowing you to express yourself? All of that was stifled in my family and virtually everybody I know. As children, we're not allowed to have feelings, especially boy children, girls a little more so. They're, they're at least permitted to cry. Boys are not permitted to cry. What I heard was, shut up or I'll give you something to cry about. And I was not allowed to be afraid because that made me a girl. And the worst thing you can call a little boy is a girl. Right? So I was not allowed to be afraid and I was not allowed to be angry. And I was not allowed to be sad. And I was not allowed to express my emotions. So I had no understanding of my emotions. So I had little understanding of myself. All that's left are thoughts. And then as a kid, you stand in front of a mirror, you're eight years old, you're 12 years old, you're 16 years old, and you're trying to invent a character. You want to be, uh, in my case, uh, I guess I was choosing between being uh, James Dean or, uh, I don't know, some cowboy hero or superhero or some badass motorcycle guy. I don't know. I just sort of went down the middle, I guess, and went with the flow and dressed like the other guys to be, you know, whatever was in at the time. It's silly. But then you forget about that and you grow up to be the adult that's an extension of this character that you cobbled together as a kid and, again, often live our entire lives without any exposure to who I really am based on how I feel because I have no experience owning my feelings. There's something that's been done to me by others. Then we get in relationships with other people who've suffered in the same way. And this is where the codependency comes in when drugs and alcohol are not involved. It's an emotional swap. I ignore my own feelings and zone in or zoom in on the feelings of my partner and use their feelings as a gauge of how I'm doing. And they're doing the same thing. And we wonder why relationships don't work. Then we have a need for the others to be happy. And if they're not happy, 
even if we deny it at times, a part of us feels responsible for the fact that they're not happy. And many times it's quite obvious. The other in a relationship will say, well, you're the reason I'm... <laughs> They'll say right out, you're the reason I'm not happy. Well, of course I'm not happy because you do this and you do that. And what do people argue about? What's the most common word at the beginning of a sentence in an argument? You, you, you always, you never... You're the one who, well, you started it. Well, remember that time that you from 20 years ago? And I'll never forget that. I'll never forgive you for what you, you, you. Where is the I? I feel and I felt and I'm feeling. Where is that? Too scary, too vulnerable. But no reference. We have no reference to I feel. You see? So we're using other people's feelings to try to understand ourselves. And those people are using their best understanding of our feelings to understand them. It's like we're in each other's shoes. They don't fit. It doesn't feel right. And we don't know what to do. So codependency clearly goes beyond the uh, substance abuse community to this exaggerated form of people-pleasing. Now, how do we get that back? How do we recover and become emotionally independent? Well, it starts by, I think it starts, I guess this is debatable where you begin, but to me it starts with being assertive. Learning to stand up for yourself even if you're not sure who that self is. There's got to be a self in here someplace. I realize that 25, 45, 65, I really don't have much idea who that is, but there's got to be some self in here. And I'm tired of getting steamrollered. And I'm tired of betraying myself and taking on obligations and and doing favors and following orders and living up to other people's expectations as if that's going to make me feel good about myself. If I could please them, if I say, yeah, I'll handle that for you. Yeah, I'll do that for you. Even though you don't want to, <laughs> you're dreading it. You were terrified they were going to ask you, and then they did. And you even may have made a secret promise to yourself. I'm going to say no this time, but it happens and you can't say it. And so you take on it. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that for you. Yeah, whatever it happens to be. And then we get bitter and resentful and start self-loathing in this self-deprecating internal dialogue, this self-talk about, oh, I... Uh, so ashamed of myself. Why did I do that? Why can't I stand up for myself? Maybe it's you don't know who the self is that you're standing up for. And you want to be liked. You want to be a nice person. You want to be appreciated by other people. And we're afraid that we'll be discounted and, and demeaned and, and, and disowned if we displease other people. But there are diplomatic ways of doing it. You can assert yourself in an appropriate way, like, hey, Bill, Sally, 
I wish I could help you with that. I think that might be a fun challenge for me. But to tell you the truth, I I have no time for that right now. It's I, I just cannot make that a priority in my life. There's just too much going on, too much on my plate, and leave it at that. Don't worry about explaining it further. And if they come back at you, because they probably will, just repeat yourself gently. Oh, I know. Boy, I would if I could. I'd just love to help you with that. Can't do it, though. I'm sure you'll understand. <laughs> That's a leadership trick. I know you'll understand. And maybe they will and maybe they won't. But I think most of us have been assertive enough that we've found that there are extraordinary benefits when you do have the wherewithal to stand up for yourself and assert yourself. Yes, I would like to please you. I know it would make you happy. And making you happy would make me happy, but only to a limited... You don't say this, but in your own mind, you're thinking this. And making this person happy would make me happy, but only to a limited degree, because I would also suffer the resentment and um, the internal shame of knowing that I had betrayed myself, that I acted in a way that was contrary to my own self-interest because I'm allowing myself to be pressured by this other person who I'd like to please or at least wish to avoid displeasing. You understand? It's this emotional swap. But the only way out of this is to own your feelings and know that that's how you discover the self that you stand up for and honor those feelings and trust those feelings. Self-love, self-trust, self-respect is every bit as important as loving, trusting, and respecting other people. It just, in many cases, seems more difficult. Because you can grant them the benefit of the doubt. Well, yeah, I love them and trust them and respect them, even though they're not always <laughs> deserving of my uh, love and trust and respect. Nevertheless, I give them the benefit of the doubt. But I know myself well enough, or I don't know myself well enough. I'm confused about who I am. I don't know if I trust myself. Is it easier to trust others than to trust yourself? I don't know if I respect myself because I don't know myself. Do I know other people better than I know myself? Or do I think I know other people better than myself? Why would we try to please other people as an indirect way to please yourself when it seems so much more reasonable to treat yourself with love, trust, and respect so that then you have more to give to others? Why cover the world with leather? Just wear sandals. Why change the world so that you benefit? when you could change yourself to benefit the world. 
So I think codependency is just living your life backwards. I think that's the simple, simplest way I can say it. And again, we're all codependent to some extent because we want to please people. We want people to be happy. We want to all have fun and, and, and just get along. Rodney King, can't we just all get along here, right? But don't betray yourself as a way of doing it. This is where self-discovery begins. Not what you think of yourself, but how you feel. Own those feelings.